Friends, welcome to Making Disciples. My name is Chris Rogers and I am your host and I'm so pleased that you have chosen to give me some of your time today. In today's episode, I want to be exploring together what is the evidence that Jesus existed outside of the New Testament. We're going to talk about evidence, we're going to talk about different kinds of evidence and what proof is there that this man called Jesus existed. Now why am I talking about this on a discipleship podcast? I'm talking about this because we are told in the scriptures to be ready at any moment to defend our faith. But many of us, and this is not a criticism at all, but many of us don't know how to defend our faith. We don't know where to start we know there are some people who are very good at defending the Christian faith and there are academics that are out there that are very good at defending their faith but we don't know how to do it so that's what I want to explore today is about how might we go about defending our faith what evidence is there that Jesus actually did exist uh, and did walk planet earth I'm also going to be exploring in this episode how we might go about determining is Jesus who claims Jesus is does Jesus claim to be God? And if so, uh, does that mean he is? He could just be a crazy man. You know, a nutter can say that he's God. So we're going to look at how we might therefore also look at Jesus's life and ask the question, well, who is Jesus in terms of is he somebody who is a bit of a lunatic? Is he somebody who is a liar? Is he somebody who's loopy? Or actually, is he Lord? Is he actually who he claims to be? So we're going to be exploring some of the evidence today that might help us defend our faith as we are called to do. Friends, don't forget, if you want to support the podcast, the one way of doing that is telling people about it, sharing, putting on your Facebook feed. Hey, just listen to a podcast today. This is really interesting. You might like this as well. That is so good for the podcast. Um, one of the other ways you might want to support the podcast is just buying us a coffee you might find that a way of wanting to support us. I'm going to buy you a coffee just as a way of saying thank you for putting the preparation into making this happen. Uh, running a podcast like this isn't necessarily straightforward. It takes time, preparation, recording, editing, uploading. Uh, so that there's a lot that kind of goes on in the background to make this happen each week. So one way of supporting it would be to share it, let others know it's out there so others listen. Another way you might want to simply buy is a coffee. So friends, there you go. I'm going to be jumping in evidence for Jesus and who is Jesus. Let's explore this together. Did Jesus really exist? I am a massive fan of cold cases. I love watching Netflix. I love watching a case that's 50 years ago and some detective comes in and using uh, particular techniques of looking at old information and evidence can actually bring new evidence to life uh, and can argue a case and bring somebody to court and put them away for a murder that happened years before. I do love a good cold case and in some ways we need to approach Jesus's uh, life as a cold case uh, we're looking at evidence uh, that that is long gone long old uh, and there is no eyewitnesses present today 
for the events of what happened 2,000 years ago. So there's no eyewitness evidence in terms of present day. So we have to approach this as a cold case, looking at all the evidence. So there are different ways that you can look at evidence. So um, I want to talk about three different ways of looking at evidence in a cold case. So the first kind of evidence in any crime scene would be what we describe as direct evidence. Direct evidence is evidence that is an eyewitness account. So if I committed a crime and I punched somebody in the in the street and I was seen by a group of people around me, that group of people who saw the incident, they are what you would describe as direct evidence. They're eyewitness accounts. Another form of eyewitness account would be a video recording. So if you suddenly found there's a security camera somewhere, that recording of the incident will be described as direct evidence. It, it was live in the moment. They saw it in the moment. The second kind of evidence is called indirect evidence. So imagine if I punched somebody in the street and they ran off. And only a short distance up the road was a lady who saw the person running past them, holding their hand over their eye. So she didn't see the incident, but she saw uh, the the evidence of the incident as the person ran past her holding their eye. So there could never be direct evidence. She can't argue who did the incident, but there is evidence that that incident happened. So nobody could claim it didn't happen because she saw the person running past them. That's called indirect evidence. Somebody who saw something about the crime but didn't specifically see the crime. So, you know, in a bank robbery, indirect evidence is you seeing a car zoom past you going faster than uh, the, the speed limit and you're able to see the car and you're able to see the registration plate. That is indirect evidence uh, and it would be a part of the picture of finding out who had done the crime and, and arguing who had done the crime in the court. So direct evidence, indirect evidence and then one that I am going to call the fallout evidence. This is the evidence that is seen quite a distance down the road. So imagine I punched somebody in the eye. That person is then seen running down the road. Now, a month later, the black eye has gone. So what evidence is there now that there, there was an incident happened? Well, a part of the evidence might be that that person's right eye was so badly damaged they can no longer see. So the fallout evidence is the consequential evidence, the, the long-term impact of that event. So if it was a car accident, the fact, fact that months down the line the wounds may have healed, but the fact that the person still has a broken leg or the fact that the person no longer can walk, that is fallout evidence. And historical events will have fallout evidence, consequential evidence that may affect generations of a particular family or generations of a particular people group. So there's these three different forms of evidence, direct evidence, indirect evidence, and fallout evidence. And then you've got this thing called hearsay, which we've got to be really careful of, where people say things that they, they were not there, they didn't see anything, and they've not experienced any of the fallout evidence. This group of people called uh, hearsay. And those people you have to be very careful with. Essentially, it's gossip. So one of the things that in the court that we often do is trying to weed out evidence from hearsay.
So let me talk about fallout evidence for Jesus for a moment. Fallout evidence that Jesus existed is that maybe two or three generations after Jesus, people were still writing about him. There's a group of writers, which I'll call the Gnostic Gospels, um, but they're slightly wider than that as well. There was a group of people between 200 and 350 years after Jesus who were still writing about Jesus. Very often, these writings about Jesus reappear. They're called the Gnostic Gospels. And you hear about the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of uh, Martha. And these Gospels were written so long after the events, they're not credible and they're not actually truthful at all. Um, and the best way of depicting them is, I, let's talk about comic books for a moment. So the, the God Thor a, was a story that was told thousands of years ago. Right now, we have comic books that are being written about Thor. In those comic books, he's a superhero. So when you read that comic book of that superhero, is it giving you historical facts about Thor? No. It's extended universe kind of writing, okay? And the Gnostic Gospels, and a lot of those, those Gospels that emerged around the 200 to 350 years after Jesus, those Gospels are really like comic books. They're not factually true at all, but they're using the names that uh, are the same as historical figures. So the fact that there's a comic book character called Thor is not really the same character as what is in, in Greek mythology, okay, or in Norse mythology. These Gnostic Gospels existed and they are untruthful. You cannot. So every now and again, people say, oh, yeah, there's a new gospel being found, the gospel of Thomas. And in the gospel of Thomas, it says this about Jesus or the gospel of Jesus. You know, these are the words of Jesus himself. They're not at all. Um, but what they are, which is really interesting, is uh, that is evidence. Those gospels are evidence that Jesus existed because people were still writing about Jesus. People were still interested about Jesus and were still writing about him. Art of Jesus being depicted on the cross, music that has been written and poetry that is written to help people in worship. All of that is what we would describe as, describe as fallout evidence. It happened generations after Jesus, but the fact that Jesus is being still being talked about and painted about, music made for, is evidence that something happened, okay? And you can't see uh, ground zero but you're experiencing the fallout from that event. Friends, there is more evidence for the life of Jesus than many historical events that get taught in schools. Let's talk about the Battle of 1066 for a second. Battle of 1066 gets taught in history. Jesus gets talked about in religion. But actually, Jesus is a historical figure that has more evidence for his life than the Battle of 1066. So you could teach about Jesus in the history class because he's a historical figure. But friends, the evidence for Jesus and his, his existence isn't simply found in the Gospels. It's actually found in the indirect evidence that was written after the event. So let me just bounce back for a second and talk about direct evidence. Direct evidence is eyewitness accounts. So the Gospels, okay, are eyewitness accounts. Here's a group of people that saw the life of Jesus and in their lifetime wrote down what they saw happen. 
I would love to argue the Gospel of Mark was actually Peter dictating the Gospel later in life to a young lad called Mark who was typing it up for him or writing it up for him, okay? Peter is losing his eyesight and it's in his lifetime he realised that if he didn't write down what he saw Jesus do and say, then he was soon going to die. And in his death, this uh, eyewitness account would get lost. So, like some of the other disciples, the Gospel was written. And the Gospel of Mark was uh, written by Mark a young man, I believe, who Peter is giving him the words to write down. Direct evidence. Many of us as Christians think the only evidence that we have for the life of Jesus is direct evidence, the Gospels or what's in the Bible. And I want to encourage you today, okay? The Gospels is direct eyewitness accounts but we also have what we describe as indirect evidence. People who wrote about Jesus external to the Gospels. So I'm going to give you some examples of this. And the best place for us to look for this is in the Roman archives. The Roman Empire was very good at writing about history. The Romans wanted to make sure there was a good record of accounts of the events that happened in the Roman Empire. And because they wanted the stories of what was happening in the Roman Empire to be passed to future generations, they employed historians to write down what happened. Uh, some of them weren't historians, but they were leaders or credible witnesses that were around at the time who were writing to Caesar and in those letters were saying things about what was happening elsewhere in the empire. So let me just explore some of this with you for a moment. You'll, you'll see uh, some of what was written really does help us start to make an argument that Jesus was a reference external to the Gospels. So Tacticus. Tacticus was a Roman historian and he wrote these things called annuals. And he, in them, he's describing the Roman Empire and he's writing really for uh, Emperor Nero's actions. He's writing about what happened around Emperor Nero. And he was writing at AD 64. So this is about 30 years after Jesus. So it's still in the lifetime of, of those that were around at that point, those that saw Jesus's death and then the fallout from that the effect of the early church and the church planting movement and the disciples uh, that was all in the in in the uh, lifetime of this, this writer and he writes this Christ from whom the name had its origin suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our prosecutors Pontius Pilate and a most mischievous su uh, superstition. And then it says, thus checked for the moment. So it hasn't been checked out yet. But there's a mischievous superstition that broke out not only in Judea, f the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their centre and become popular. Okay, so let me just tease that out for you. So Jesus Christ, who was prosecuted by Pontius Pilate, doesn't mention his death, but says that there was a mis mischievous superstition 
that emerged first in Judea and then in Rome. And I love how it describes where all shameful and hideous things um, from all around the world uh, end up becoming popular. So what he's saying is uh, Jesus prosecuted by Pontius Pilate and eventually this this superstition emerged of the resurrection. So a beautiful paragraph where we have the name of Jesus, we have the name of Pontius Pilate and the superstition mentioned, you know, what he's talking about is the resurrection. So that is Tacticus, the Roman historian AD 64. Let's just now read from a Roman governor uh, called Pliny the Younger, who around 100 AD says this. He's writing to Emperor uh, Trajan and he writes this, that the early Christians would sing hymns to Christ as if they were singing to God. So he references here the behaviour of the early church. And he's talking about how the early church sing hymns to Jesus Christ, to Christ, the Messiah, as if they're singing to God. So he's referencing here that they're singing to Jesus and he's referencing the early church and he's referencing the act of worship. That that very early on, uh, people were worshipping Jesus as God. Uh, so no question there over... Uh, his understanding about Jesus and the early church. So let me look at another one. The Roman historian Suetonius references Jesus in noting that Emperor Claudius uh, had expelled Jews from Rome who, and he's writing this in 90 AD, Jews from Rome who were making constant disturbances at the indignation of Christ. So they had to kick Jews out of Rome who were causing such arguments over Christ. So Christians were obviously going around teaching about Jesus, they were teaching about his life, and this historian is referencing that the Christ was being talked about and he was up this was upsetting the Jews, and they had to kick the Jews out of uh, Rome. Another historian that I want to talk about, and this historian, uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian, was writing again, roughly we think around 60 AD or 65 AD. And there's two sections of his work that he mentions Jesus. And the work he's writing, the book he was writing, was called The Antiquities of the Jews. And Josephus writes this. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as receiving the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And while Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again on the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold. These and the 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, 
and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. So here you have him talking about Jesus the wise man, if it's lawful to call him wise, uh, worker of wonderful works and deeds. Uh, we're told that he was crucified by Pilate and that uh, this group of people believe that he rose again on the third day and the stories that they're telling have not died out yet they continue to be told and i'm going to jump to another section of the antiquities of the jews uh, this is another section where Jesus isn't specifically or as clearly talked about but Jesus is referenced as a part of the narrative Festus was now dead and Albius was but upon the road so he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus who was called Christ and whose name was James and the others or some of his companions when had been formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law he delivered them to be stoned so here we have a reference to james jesus's brother and a reference to jesus being the christ so josephus twice mentions jesus now there's some arguments that maybe uh, an extra word has been added there or an extra line of explanation of who jesus is has been added but even if that's true there's so much said about jesus there in those two paragraphs that jesus is clearly referenced so there is so much in the jewish history books that talks about jesus historical evidence there's a chap called bart uh, herman who was a Christian who actually became uh, an atheist later in life. Um, he writes in his book, Did Jesus Exist? The Historical Argument for Jesus of Nazareth. He says this, but it is useful for realising that Jesus was known by historians who had reason to look into the matter or look into Jesus. No one in the history books thought that Jesus was made up. No serious historian would argue Jesus's existence no serious historian would say Jesus didn't exist because there is just too much evidence for the life of Jesus not only is it the Gospels not only is it the rest of the New Testament not only is it the indirect evidence of writers like Tacticus and Pliny uh, and Josephus uh, not only is it the fallout evidence of of things like the music and the ex extra writings uh, that people wrote about Jesus, the music, the poetry that was made. Uh, all of this clearly makes an argument. Just the impact on a city that Jesus made, the city of Jerusalem. Um, there is so much evidence nobody could actually argue that Jesus didn't exist. Friends, the question isn't... Uh, for genuine historians the question isn't did jesus exist the the question is who was jesus who was he so let's just look at jesus for a moment what what is the indirect claims that jesus makes about himself well in mark 2 5 jesus argues that he can forgive sins and in matthew 25 31 he argues that he will be the judge of the world so these two indirect claims he's claiming to be able to forgive sins and he's claiming that he's going to be the judge those indirect claims can only be made by somebody who believes that they are god his direct claims well mark 14 61 in 
Mark 14, in two places, he's claiming to be the Messiah and he's claiming to be the Son of God. Let me read this to you. Again, the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. So here you see Jesus is claiming to be Messiah and he's claiming to be the Son of God. In John 10, 30, he, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus is claiming to be one with God. John 8, 58, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am being the name of God in the Old Testament. So throughout uh, the New Testament, Jesus is making claims about who he is. Um. So we end up, friends, with a trilemma. What is a trilemma? A dilemma is when you've got two possible options to go around, option A and option B. A trilemma is when you've got options A, B and C to deal with. So a trilemma is when you've got three possible alternatives to pursue. When it comes to Jesus, friends, we have a trilemma. Was Jesus a madman? A bad man or was he a God man? Now, a madman is just somebody who's crazy. Somebody who thinks so highly of themselves that they're deluded. They think they're God. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Did Jesus think he was God and was just deluded? Well, if Jesus was a madman, his teachings are not the ramblings of a madman. The teachings of Jesus are almost sanity in its clearest form if you've never read the sermon on the mount the sermon on the mount is the most beautiful ethical uh life that any human being could live by there is a modern uh, psychologist called john mortimer and he's not a believer he's an atheist and he says this what is beyond a doubt he writes is that the Gospels provide a system of ethics to which we must return if we are to avoid social disasters. And the article that he's writing this in is entitled this, Even the Unbelievers Should Go Back to Church Today. So leading psychologists look at the teachings of Jesus and say, this is a beautiful way to live. This is the most holistic, life-giving way uh, to live. So to call Jesus madman makes no sense because his teachings aren't that of a madman. If anything, friends, you would have to argue that Jesus was really a bad man. He's a liar. He's somebody that deluded others and lied about himself. So if Jesus isn't a madman, but he's more likely to be a bad man, he's a liar... Well, let's just look at his life for a moment. So Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He turned water into wine. And he does that water into wine to stop a friend's embarrassment. Not that he would get fame from it. Uh, so it isn't a magic trick that brings him fame. He, he makes water into wine so that somebody, this wedding, would not lose face. Some people, friends, talk about Jesus simply being a good man, a, a man that lived a good life. So he can't be a good man and be a bad man. So if Jesus is a, is a good man, the argument is that he, Jesus doesn't do any of the miraculous stuff. Uh, he just purely is a good moral 
teacher. So Jesus is moral in his teaching. Well, his teaching is incredibly good, and it is incredibly good moral teaching. But Jesus never simply claimed to be a good moral teacher. That's not what he argues about himself. We'll look at that in a minute. So is Jesus, therefore, a bad man? Is mentally deluded and a liar? Time magazine is really interesting. So a number of years ago, they did an article, 100 top historical figures, of which Jesus was right in there. And Time magazine says this, Jesus was the most persistent symbol of purity, selflessness and love in the history of Western humanity. I love that. Jesus was the most persistent symbol of purity, selflessness and love in the history of Western humanity. I think if we cannot agree anything about Jesus is that his teaching was beautiful because it was really very much about being a blessing to the world, giving away and being generous, living a life of freedom and forgiveness. So to argue that Jesus is a bad man makes no sense. It doesn't match what we know about Jesus at all. In fact, let's just check this out. Matthew uh, Paris, he was a vowed atheist. And I think it was roughly the 80s he, he wrote this. Vowed atheist. And he says this. I've got such huge respect for Jesus because his life was so radical. It was so inconvenient. If Jesus had not existed, the church most certainly would not have invented him. I love that. The life of Jesus is so radical. The Christians could have made this stuff up. Couldn't have made this stuff up because Jesus was just so incredible. Let's just look at Jesus' last words hung on the cross for a moment. Are these the words of a bad man? The last words that Jesus speak on the cross is this, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. They're not the words of a liar and bad man. That, they are the words of a man who truly believes um, what he is doing. So therefore, madman, bad man, and the last is God man. And I love this, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis writes about this trilemma. And uh, he, he writes quite a bit ab about this. But I love this line. Let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about this being a great human teacher. Jesus has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. We are faced uh, then with a frightening alternative. Either Jesus was and is exactly what he said or else he was insane or something worse. You see, friends, to C.S. Lewis, it seemed clear that he could neither have been insane or evil. And C.S. Lewis concluded that Jesus really was God. He says, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So, friends, the evidence is there. A direct evidence in the New Testament, the indirect evidence external to Christianity, and then the fallout evidence in all the things that, that we then see in the hundreds of years following Jesus. The evidence is there. Uh, the historians believe Jesus existed, but the question isn't did he exist? The question is, is Jesus who he claimed to be? Jesus claiming to be God. And that's the trilemma. Is he a madman? Is he a bad man? Is he God-man? And that is the question that each of us have to ask ourselves. So friends, 
when you come to share your faith with someone else, if they say there's no evidence other than the Bible, then you know that's not true. The only question we can really ask ourselves is who was this Jesus? Was he a madman? Was he a bad man? Was he a God man? What, what is he? Jesus doesn't leave it to us to simply believe that he was a good teacher because this good teacher claimed to be God. So if he's a good teacher, then you have to take the teachings of that rabbi at face value. And he claimed to be God. So he can't just be a good teacher, which must mean really he's either a liar and he's deluded or he really was the son of God. Friends, I pray that you may come to know that there is so much evidence for the life of Jesus. But ultimately, we have to get to the place of asking this. Um, if this Jesus is real, and if this Jesus rose again, and if this Jesus therefore changes lives in the resurrection, how might we have a relationship with him today? And that's the real conversion point, having a relationship with Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit that we may know Jesus today and not just as a historical figure. I pray that you find that helpful and inspiring and equipping in your conversations. In future weeks, we're going to talk about more evidence for the Bible and more evidence for the resurrection. But friends, until next time, grace and peace. <laughs>